Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of Differential Diagnosis, where we'll be differentially diagnosing the mid-season episode of season 1 called Detox. My name is Harvey, I'll be a co-host, and your other co-host is Gaz. Pleasure to be here, Harvey, um, to dissect this one of your favourite episodes. You say You said to me earlier that this was the episode you would show someone to introduce them to house. Yeah, I I love this episode. I um this episode doesn't turn up like I, I mean out of curiosity, I did look through a couple of the like all top 10 house episodes like things that people post or talk about. And Detox doesn't really turn up. Like three stories does, DNR does. Um uh the Socratic method turns up a lot, but um yeah, like Detox doesn't really turn up as far as I can tell, which is strange. Like what what are your thoughts on the episode? Like just casually, just before we start, because obviously we're going to spend the next 40 minutes or so talking about the episode. So don't blurt all that out now. (laughs) I think it's a really good episode. Um, You know what my feelings are about the previous episode that we looked at, um, which I felt was a bit of a, as they say, Debbie Downer (laughs) in comparison to DNR. Yeah. Um, And so I think this is a really good, it's a, Better improvement. We're also outside of the Foreman trilogy. We're in this oh, kind of weird... Thank God. <laughs> Nothing against Foreman. But there was a lot of Foreman for just there. Yeah. Although it means that you have a sense of Foreman's personality and he does intervene in this episode at a crucial point. So you get you kind of say yeah that makes sense it's not like he just randomly comes out and just does the thing that he's going to do there's uh, some context to that that we didn't that we saw in the previous three episodes that yeah completely well it's yeah. it's a strange it's a strange thing now because you know the two characters that we understand the most are house and foreman mm. which is very important because as we've discussed like foreman is kind of the foil to house mm. and they you know, sort of Foreman is in conflict that he doesn't want to be like House, but at the same time, Foreman is also very much like House. So it's good that we know a lot about Foreman, but the fact that we just know so much about one of the uh, three fellow doctors and then we barely know much about Wilson at all or Cuddy, it's, uh, as you say, it gives a lot of context, but it's also extremely strange. Yeah. It's, um yeah, he's just had so much of the limelight. So um, it's good that we're moving away from him. But at the same time, um, this is a very house-focused episode because it looks into uh, House's relationship with Vicodin, his pain-killing medicine. So, um, yeah, like it's great to have a house-focused episode because he is the main character. But it's also, uh, I hope going forward, there are more episodes exploring the other characters because we really haven't learned much about them. Yeah, um, and I'm sure that's going to happen. Um it's kind of beg the the focus on Foreman kind of begs the it does beg the question about well what about Chase and what about Cameron what about their we get hints of their characters and the conflicts that they have within themselves but we haven't gone into that sort of detail with them in comparison to Foreman so I'm looking forward to that yeah completely um I can't off the top of my head uh, remember any specific episodes but. That's that's the excitement of watching the show chronologically. Yeah, <laughs> we get to learn that as we go on. Because um, I'd love to be one of those, like encyclopedic knowledge of House MD people, but I don't have enough room in my brain to have all that information because I have other things going on <laughs> in my life. <laughs> that and we probably have deficient mental capacity, and between the two of us, that's we true. probably make it semi-decent tv critic at best (laughs) yeah that's true yeah do you know what i was being i was being rude i wish i actually did have that ability to remember that much information about house md i'm actually just not good enough (laughs) (laughs) so um well this is a uh gaz well why don't you give um uh, as always we suggest you actually watch the episode because you know it there's always a lot going on in a House MD episode, even though you might casually remember it from watching it a while ago. It's way easier to follow if you've watched it. And um also gives you like more of a engagement in the discussion. So um 
I suggest pause this and watch the episode if you haven't. But Gaz, until then, why don't you give us a synopsis of, of the episode? Well, this synopsis is powered by house.fandom.com, um, <laughs> as usual. Um, powered because they put the texts on the website and then we use it. That's what we mean by powered. Um, so here's the synopsis. Detox is a first season episode of House, which first aired on February 15th, 2005. A teenage boy is admitted when he starts coughing up blood. He gets worse in the hospital, which seems to rule out an environmental cause. Or does it? Meanwhile, House tries to prove he isn't addicted to Vicodin by betting a week without Vicodin against a month without clinic duty. But when he suffers withdrawal symptoms, his team starts to lose confidence in his judgment. Wow. It's intense. Um, well, yeah, it's a landmark episode because it's it's focusing on House's drug addiction, finally, something that's been alluded to. And on top of that, it's halfway through the series. We made it, Gaz. Wow. We didn't give up. We didn't give up. We got halfway through one season of House. Absolutely, with many more to go. So <laughs> to celebrate that, let's take a, take a, take the next hour to differentially diagnose House MD, episode 11, season one, Detox. Mamma mia, here we go again. It's Amanda Seafried. <laughs> it is, and the here we go again refers to a bit more bit more teenage sex just to kick off the episode. Oh, does Fantastic. it? Fantastic. Well, this in terms of it the the episode this episode doesn't relate massively to um Occam's Razor, which also had a the similar setup with two teenagers uh having sex and then there was kind of some uh, the patient drama focused around the like teenager being ill and then the parents of the teenager and the girlfriend of the teenager kind of fighting for uh, dominance over who cares for him more, who's like the primary carer. Um, but I think I think this episode does it much better and we'll go into it as we go. But um, a great starting point is that instead of just banging so hard that they rock <laughs> the limestone building... Um, <laughs> It instead, you know, turns into a joke that she says, are you ready to have some fun? He's like, definitely. And then she says, let's uh, let's go t take a joyride of your father's car, which yeah. um, which then instigates the medical problem because the uh, teenage boy patient, then um, his nose starts bleeding and he starts uh, almost passing out. And then they no get way, a coughs a lot. He's just like, ugh, ugh. just kind of. <laughs> and you think he, she's going to crash or something crazy is going to happen because subverted so many expectations already i do so they 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 almost have a crash which subverts the expectation and they do actually have a crash, have a crash. <laughs> so many expectations subverted in one go i feel like i'm watching season eight of game of thrones <laughs> um oh wow that that's an insult and a half i know it is oh yeah Th this is really placed this episode in time as well <laughs> <laughs> so um Anyway, a, a nice little opener. It's it's interesting. It um it subverts expectations like based on a previous intro. It's solid and it's good. And also it, it does set up the kind of mystery because obviously um there is an initial uh problem in that the um the team are going to misdiagnose a lot of his uh complications based on the fact that he did get into a car accident. Mm. So it's it's a it's a good setup in that like it becomes a bit of a query of what did the car accident cause and what did the initial inciting incident of him coughing and having a nosebleed cause. Mm. So um, I'd say a very tight setup to start with. Mm. And then we go straight onto the scene with um, House waiting for his Vicodin and kind of getting fobbed off by the pharmacist. Yes, but waiting extremely impatiently, like a drug addict would. <laughs> That pharmacist gets a lot short shrift in season one because 
as we know in the earlier episode. Um, yeah, Occam's Razor again. Yeah. Very, very, like, there's there's a lot of things with this in connecting this to Occam's Razor, specifically the return of the sort of put down on a pharmacist. <laughs> Putting down pharmacists. <laughs> Pharmaphobia. So, yeah, we have this 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 nice setup. So we've set up the patient immediately. Mm. And then the, um, I guess, house's detox is the, is the B plot. Um, but they're kind of as important of each other, so mm. I don't know if I go as far to say that. But anyway, the secondary plot is then immediately set up with House is waiting incredibly impatiently for his Vicodin. Cuddy notices that, and then this second setup is started, where Cuddy mm. says, "You can't give up drugs for um for a week, and you get a month off clinic duty." Yeah, and that sets up quite nicely, but. Cameron is kind of just throwing out symptoms at House and House is coming back with counterexamples and they're not fitting the diagnosis. So now they're trying to square hemolytic. What is it? Hemolytic. Um, Are you waiting for it to appear on the board? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, <laughs> I am. I don't think I'm ever going to see it again. Hemolytic anemia and internal bleeding. They're trying to bridge those two symptoms together, but they can't figure out a way to do it. Um, so they first go for the drugs avenue as mm. per well it starts off with a very traditional differential diagnosis in that way like everyone's um, sort of you know throwing stuff into the back bucket but then it ends really early and you can see during it that house is sort of like resting his head in his hands because he's starting to detox already yeah from the lack of medicine so it's um yeah, it kind of starts off very generically or very standardly with that differential diagnosis, but then it sort of sort of ends weirdly quickly. <laughs> and it's um I think that's a that's a nice way to set up that like something isn't right, that there's something unusual mm. about this episode. In the sense that it like it kind of breaks the formula in order to show that house isn't functioning correctly in both terms of the show and the character. Yeah, and you can see he gets increasingly impatient. He's telling people that that his ability to uh, in to be patient enough to deal with this di this differential diagnosis, um, that his leg will only last until eleven fifteen. It's like his schedule is all revolving around the Vicodin and managing his pain. Yeah, we we also learned that. Um, so we learn a few like integral things about House from Cuddy. We learned that he's on eighty milligrams of Vicodin a day, which is a crazy amount. Based on my understanding of how strong Vicodin is, so that's like an extremely high amount. Um, but and that he was initially on forty. Yes, and that he's upped his dose, which kind of. But it's this kind of um, yeah, it's it like this 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 kind of conversation has been hinted at a bit. Um, DNR was a great example when Henry Giles, the patient, um notices him taking the drugs he's like how many of those do you do a day and what do he he just responds that oh he, he's in pain but actually this is interesting because now we get not only a definitive number of how many drugs he's taking we can tell that the we also get information that the like situation has uh <laughs> decayed somewhat and he's taking a lot more than he should be and then we sort of get this nice interchange of rationalizations where house is you know saying oh no, uh, you know, I just need the drugs to function. And Cuddy's saying, I can prove to you that it's not just that way. I can prove to you that the drugs are running your life if you take this week off. And then the rest of the episode then, because then House is sort of fighting against this idea that he's addicted, that setup pretty much suggests that House immediately is in denial that he's addicted. Hmm. Um, and so the rest of the episode is then spent with House trying to rationalize that point that he's not addicted while clearly detoxing. And we learn, um, yeah, we learn something very interesting about House, which we haven't until now. And I think this this episode really humanizes House in a really good way. Because um, before we've seen him be grouchy, you know, we know that he's uh, kind of a theatric guy. We know that he likes to take the piss out of people. But one thing that's always been pushed is the idea that House is like really forceful on like objective truth. He's obsessed with truth. And because it's already set up that House is already in denial about this idea that he's addicted to the drugs. We kind of, we get a glimpse of House's pride. Like we know that House is a very proud man and he thinks that what he does is important, 
but we kind of see a very like kind of pathetic like ego to house which we haven't before where he basically spends the entire episode rationalizing every single thing that he goes through even though he's detoxing every time somebody points out like oh that is a symptom of detoxing he goes no and then he gives like rattles off like three alternative reasons medically why he's not detoxing and uh, obviously he does eventually come to the conclusion that he is detoxing when he kind of you know has the when he you know when he um when he's kind of pushed on it but we it's it's an interesting aspect to house that we haven't really seen and it's it's nice to see it set up just so well here that house is actually in some ways quite a pathetic man (laughs) very Um, ego driven well he's not really in denial i wouldn't say he's in denial about himself detoxing from the drugs he's more in denial about how that might affect his rationality Right. Do you think so? I I feel like he, because I don't I don't feel at any point during it he says, "Oh, I'm not detoxing," or he doesn't go, "I'm detoxing." Yeah, but it's like you know, it's not that bad. I think he fundamentally dismisses that he's detoxing at all. He does break his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, tell you know, talk about that event because that is, I mean, <laughs> that is the actions of a very desperate person, and it but- um. Well, he'd see it as rational because he th- he what he's doing is he's gaming. He's basically tricking his brain into not focusing on the pain in his leg. Yeah, but what Cuddy tells him before he even detoxes is that you know if if you're if you're not addicted to the painkillers, then yeah, you'll be in pain, but it won't be that bad. But she says if you're addicted, then it will be you know increased by thirty times or something. And he goes. You know, and that's kind of the setup to that. So I think as soon as we see House break his hand, he pretty much answers which side of the fence he's on. <laughs> but he still denies it throughout. But um, no, I, I, I do agree with you that he, a, a lot of the, um, the, the, the patient drama is kind of used as a, yeah, as a, as kind of a battleground for everyone to keep questioning House's like ability to conduct medicine while he's clearly detoxing, which mm-hmm. he obviously disputes. He says he's completely competent, but um, but I I do think that he fundamentally is in denial a lot of the time that he is detoxing, which um, I think says a lot about him. Hmm. Um, but it's inter- It's interesting that you didn't see it like that, and you give him more of the benefit of the doubt that he's kind of discovering what's well, happening. Like you say, he's very very proud. And so he doesn't want to admit to others that he's detoxing, but he knows he is. He's he's not ignorant of that. That's my interpretation of what's going on. He's just saying, look, I'm not, as far as you're concerned, you treat me as you, you usually do, you know, and trust my judgment and my opinion because it's still valid. Mm. Even if I'm going through this kind of very like somatically traumatic event yeah absolutely but you <laughs> might you might be right but i just think it's less self-denial as just denial to everybody else it's not stupid but like you say how do we judge that that's the kind of crux of the episode right yeah true like you know yeah because uh yeah as you say like house can convince everyone that he's not addicted as much as he wants, but it's only until he stops taking the pills that even he admits that he is addicted. But, um, yeah, we kind of, (laughs) but yeah, as you say, like he, if he tells you that he's fine, how are we to know that he's not? It's, uh, it's definitely an interesting setup. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he says, you know, they, they list all the symptoms and he says it's not, not applicable but what does he mean by not applicable? Not applicable to what? Applicable applicable to who? Him. Or just <laughs> his judgment. Like is he ex- he is he say he knows he's gonna go through those symptoms, but he doesn't see them as applicable to how he is as a doctor or is it as a person? Again, it's like how does that how do you make that judgment? Yeah, true. And I, there 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 is a running um there seems to be a running thing throughout House, which we've discussed, but there's a, and this comes up a lot, but it's this idea of, um, 
It's quite. Uh, it it comes up in the end when um when House admits to Wilson that he has been detoxing, and then they discuss it. Uh, which is a great scene, and we'll we'll talk about it a bit later, I imagine. But um, uh, it's when he says that you know the pills help him function and they help him do his job. And as you say, it's like referring to that. You know, is it about House as a person or as a doctor? <laughs> it's just <laughs> this. You know, the pills just keep you going from day to day to help you do that obsessive thing you love, which was something that was really well established in DNR. Yeah. And it's kind of getting a nice callback here that um, it's kind of sad in a way that Henry Giles diagnoses House as an obsessive man who's nothing more than a doctor and um, sort of highlights that the pills probably help him do that. And then we kind of learn that here objectively, like even House admits it out loud mm. that it's just this is just what I am. This is what I have to do to achieve it. And it's just a very bleak um, like discovery of someone. Yeah, that is very bleak. <laughs> it's very bleak. Yeah. And that kind of, that conflict, I'd say that conflict um, really kicks off the whole series. I think this is what makes House special. And then this dealing with like, you know, is is House a person or is he more than a doctor? Is he just like, is he valued on just his utility as a as a as a medical man? Yeah, that's kind of that's a big running grappling thing. And it's it's kind of the crux of House's character development as a whole. So I, I think this is a like not only a really well done episode, but this is like a very important episode. And it's surprising that it doesn't come up more mm. uh, in people's because that's why I really love this episode. This is what this kind of episode just blows house out. Cause I don't think if you ever had, if you didn't have this episode and you just had house taking Vicodin and just being a kind of cranky doctor, I think you'd really be missing a huge part of why house as a character and as a show is interesting. Yeah. This is kind of definitely the gateway to the, to the darker themes of house. Like, sure. We've had episodes where like a baby's died and like, you know, there's been depressing things and it's explored homelessness, but, um, but yeah, like seeing that moment where he just accepts that he doesn't really have any value other than his job <laughs> and the drugs help him do that is very bleak. Yeah, I agree. And now you've said that, it kind of all makes sense. It's like the established, it's, it's probably the real opener of the entire TV show. Yeah. In a sense. We've had all the establish, all this establishment. We've had hints about certain ways relationships function within his life, mm -hmm. like you know, spending time alone at Christmas with Wilson. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like that's uh, that, there's something very that was bleak. I mean, <laughs> it's very bleak and it's very human. But as you say, like these are just insights into like that these characters are people and that they're interesting. They've got something going on. But um, mm. but this is the real. This is the real, like, cannon going off. Yeah. It, because it's, like you say, it's about who is House in the sense is, is he just a doctor or is he, or is he a, per, a kind of a person outside of his profession? He doesn't seem to think so. Mm. And then on top of that, you have this idea of, well, who is house to everybody else? Like, how do they value him? And some people value him as a teacher. Some value him as a friend. But he doesn't necessarily see it that way all the time. Yeah. It's also, it's also something quite like a nice little twist on the, the medical procedural as a whole. Because in many medical procedurals and like pretty much any procedural that's about an occupation, the, the main characters kind of do a job. And it's, um, you don't really learn a lot about them, like their private lives. You know, every episode is like even CSI because everyone works in the criminal like investigations unit. You don't see them just living their lives. You only see their lives when they're working in the CSI team. Yeah. Because that's the important thing. That's where those stories happen. Like, you know, their general day-to-day -day lives aren't particularly interesting. Mm. And House is like quite a funny twist on that is that we only ever see House being a doctor because that's the format of the show and like where his real narrative is. 
But then we also, when House sort of admits, I'm also nothing but a doctor, it's like they kind of take that, the the character of it, if you see what I mean. Like, like we've only ever seen him as a doctor. And then he kind of actually says, I am literally nothing but a doctor. <laughs> and there's something quite terrifying about that. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not he's not just a doctor character, but he goes home to something. He is literally a doctor character. Like when we watch the show House MD, we're watching every aspect of House's life. That's all he is. Because when he's out of the hospital, not talking to anyone, he's not doing anything. He's just going home and drinking and watching the telly. Yeah. (laughs) And then he comes back to work. And that's where the show and his real life start. It's it's like a he's been trapped. <laughs> he's just been trapped in this kind of world, and he has no way of getting out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like someone locked in a cathedral <laughs> where they are forced to live out this single character. Yeah, but um, well, this is something that gets gets explored in future episodes and in future series is. What happens when you strip House away of everything that makes him meaningful? And so that will come up, but it's something to kind of reflect on. Um, Yeah, and that's when when the drama's most interesting. And uh, I'd say the problem with the show is there's only so many times you can do that. And I think (laughs) the show definitely exhausts that. But um, the, the initial times when it does it are some of, I mean, some of the best moments of House, and I think some of like, like the best moments of like you know television writing it's just really great but this is the this is that initial setup kind of really gets the core of house the other interesting thing is is foreman is challenging house again by saying he's going crazy he's detoxing and then house comes in and says well let's just get back to the job at hand let's yeah house talk about hears me. him slagging him off which is quite interesting and doesn't really seem to react to it yeah because he's just again, he's still focusing on the role. Everyone else else is focusing on him, mm. and trying to see it, whether he they're testing the hypothesis of whether he's rational or not. But every but the other, I think uh, Foreman and Chase, uh, sorry Cameron and Chase, are quite defensive of House, which is still back to that initial setup, which is Cameron and like Ch- Cameron starts to turn more, but Chase is always on point that House is fine. Yeah, uh, which is it's quite funny that Chase is so defensive of House. I mean, that's why I want to learn more about Chase as a character because, while you know, even Cameron is swayed to the idea that maybe House is acting irrationally. Like Chase is always on House's side. Well, yeah, I mean, Ch- Chase's background might give more insight into why he has a little bit more leniency for House. Yeah, exactly. He has much more of a he has much more contact with the medical profession than. Both Cameron and Foreman, actually. Yeah. So he probably has a better idea of how <laughs> how loopy good doctors can be. <laughs> yeah. And uh-huh. well, yeah. it's quite interesting as well with, um, as you say, like Foreman really questions House. All but there's the a time. great moment where Foreman comes into his office and gives House the Vicodin and says, I think he says, um, you know, I, I came here to work with you, not babysit you. Yeah. And so Foreman is just like, yeah, Foreman is just trying to almost create that original version of House, even if it means like giving him highly addictive, like, you know, Vicodin, which he's clearly got a problem with. It's mm. like Foreman doesn't really care, which um says a lot about Foreman. It's like Foreman isn't really personally interested in House. Like, I think Cuddy and Wilson are concerned, and so is Cameron. Mm. But, um... But Foreman just seems to be more concerned about House just functioning as a doctor and just not really, you know, ruining it for the patient. <laughs> my, This is also one of my favourite scenes that produces one of my favourite stills is when he goes and looks at breaking his hand <laughs> with a mortar and pestle yeah. um, because he does that kind of sweaty, suffering face. Um, well, Hugh, Hugh Laurie's performance in this is absolutely great. Yeah, it is. Um, this really cements why he's so good. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he just broke his hand. And then the, does the smile, and it's just this kind of absolute relief. 
yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a stunning performance. It really and, is. And then you think, okay, how can he not be insane? He just <laughs> broke his finger. Well, it's really comical with them because House progressively gets more sweaty, more red-eyed. He then, um, you know, has a broken hand, and he keeps coming back to the patient to be mm. involved in like the diagnostics. Uh, the team try and keep House away. It's very funny this. Because we haven't talked much about the patient story, and I'd say the patient story isn't really like thematically tied in any way. But the way that the patient story works is it's just a very complicated case. Mm. And it's something that the team are struggling to solve by themselves. And it's really something that would require House to be on point for. And it's just they try and keep House away, though, even though it's kind of to their detriment. But every time House turns up, he's just you know, rude, he gets sweatier, like he even turns up at one point and then his hand's broken. Mm. And the patient, the patient's father just does not trust him at all because he looks insane. And it just creates like, it's a really, I think it's played for laughs intentionally. Mm. But the actual setup is just like, it's absolutely absurd. The house is just like, <laughs> like during a really intense time when, you know, the patient would be expecting like the best treatment <laughs> just you have this doctor who's clearly going through detox with like cradling a broken hand just like yelling at him <laughs> mm. like he can barely he can barely function later in the episode he's just leaning against a wall just like whispering under his breath <laughs> also this is a moment where so wilson is uh attending to house's broken fingers or finger and basically he tries to bs his way out of um why he had broken his hand and wilson just sees straight through it he like he knows why he did it oh yeah doesn't he say he trapped it in a car door by accident yeah it's like no no you haven't (laughs) i know that's that's where that self-denial comes it's not self-denial but it's just like house will just just lie, even though everybody knows he's not. He'd just say, oh, I'll just lie and get through it because I can't be bothered to discuss it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of... Well, he's... This is another thing about his character is he's an, he does avoid things. He, he, there's such a confrontational character when it comes to his personal life. He's always trying to find ways to avoid yeah, any like... sort of examination or prying into his underlying character or motivations. yeah. And even though I think House often plays that off as kind of my life isn't interesting, I think it actually comes from a place of fear. Mm. Because when House does open up, he's clearly a very damaged man. I think House is like, yeah, he even does it when Henry Giles starts diagnosing him in DNR. And he just kind of comes off with these fobby things like, oh, I'm in pain or something. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I think House is more terrified, actually, that somebody would unveil him. Yeah, because House, you know, as much as House tries to hide his private life, he definitely wears his problems on his sleeve. Like he's not very subtle, especially mm. now in this episode. The other thing about it is that he doesn't want other people's conception of his obje- objectivity to be compromised, because he can He is objective in what he does. He's very good at what he does, but the moment people start prying into his life, they might they might start asking questions of him all the time, and sometimes. He doesn't need that. He doesn't want that. He doesn't yeah. want people thinking about him as a damaged man. They want to see him as a brilliant doctor. Yeah. And that that, that ties perfectly into the, mm. like, is it the, the battle of the man and the doctor? Yeah, so let's let's talk about the, the patient um, storyline. Because... The patient storyline in this is really good. It is kind of outshone slightly by the uh, the detox angle, but um, because that's just such a like engrossing storyline. But um, in terms of the patient drama, I think it um, because it has such a correlation with Occam's Razor, uh, in which there was you know a young couple they were having sex. One of uh, you know the the male teenager gets ill. And then the parents get involved and then it's kind of this weird like drama between the um, between the patient's girlfriend and the patient's mother. And I think this kind of replicates that setup, um, but it does it more interestingly <laughs> and better. Um, so, yeah, like, do you, yeah, what are your what are your thoughts, Gaz, on the um, 
like the pace and drama in this and why it possibly compares favorably <laughs> to Occam's Razor. Yeah, because there's a relationship between parent and patient and girlfriend, which is exactly the same kind of triangle that happened before. And yeah. The yeah. tensions are completely different. Um, similar, but but different in the sense that the father seems to be a little bit more rational, but he's also very fearful because his, his well, his his wife had died from cancer earlier he's afraid that that's going to happen to his son so he gets preoccupied by that rather than the tensions between girlfriend and um and him mm. um i think the other thing that's interesting about the patient story is actually something that's maybe overlooked it's a bit of a cameron story yeah it is a cameron story in the sense that it's about her interaction with the father and trying to convince him of the best course of action, even when she isn't very much signed on to it. And like she thinks it's lupus, not cancer or happy. They're treating him for happy. They're going through this kind of very convoluted process to try and figure out a way to treat the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, things are getting worse. You know, they're trying other treatments. Sometimes they get better. So he has a blood clot in his eye that gets resolved. Then they put him on the um, hep E treatments. His liver's shutting down. Um, Looks like he's going to die. I would say the one thing that isn't as good as in Occam's Razor is not as much tension. Yeah, we do see a guy bleed out from his behind. But... (laughs) um, (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't feel like there is as much at stake because it's just, I don't know. There's just doesn't feel like there's as much tension in the storyline as before. Um, I don't right, know okay. why. Is, is that because maybe like the team aren't, because House isn't really involved? Yeah, It doesn't I think seem like so. the team are as confused. They're kind of just, like it feels like at the very end it gets serious yeah. when he might be about to die, but... Um, it is, uh, he's not like in the ICU. He's not on like death's door at any uh, point. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's it. I don't know. Well, he's at death's door. It just, just feels like there aren't as many radical procedures being used to try and solve this issue. It's just like, let's try this treatment. Let's try that treatment. There's no, there's not much of the procedural procedure involved. You don't see like too much surgery apart from the eye removing the vitreous fluid from the eye. Yeah. to leave pressure on the blood vessels to allow the clot to resolve itself. Which is Apart an that, interesting moment. Minis- because uh, that, that blood clot removal is a, is a nice bit of a Chase moment. Yeah, it is. Because Chase comes up with that idea not to actually resolve the greater case, but just to save his eye, which hasn't really happened before. Sort of all the medicine they do has been focused on solving the fundamental problems. So kind of, I think it says a little bit about Chase that he actually goes ahead and he's a problem solver i'm sure he's like really solves it because he's addicted to problem solving because he definitely emulates house in that way mm. but um yeah it's a mm. it's, but the, it's, but the it's interest- nice to see mm. that that like from chase it's, it's a little bit extra that he actually kind of cares about the patient's general well-being yeah but um, i would say it's a cameron it's mainly cameron centric because of the fact that it's all about her establishing trust with the father to try and push forward the treatment of this, this patient. Mm. She's, she also becomes very protective of the patient and the father because she then confronts house and tries to push house away from the case. Um, Especially when he's starting to figure out that the cat might be involved in this. Because it was they didn't he didn't think they got an adequate patient history from him, from uh, the son and the father, mm. which leads to a bit of a good old detective work. Yeah, I really like these like um, side glances where it's like Foreman and Chase like digging up a dead cat because <laughs> the doctor like they're because the episode can you know they're always looking for causes and solutions everywhere they can it like mm. it, it's part of the whole like oh the 
you know, the doctors break into houses, mm. um, which is a funny idea. Uh, but like them having to dig up a dead cat is just another version of that. But um, it's very and nice. And it's also nice that they're like so annoyed about it when they do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also it's another opportunity to see House dissecting something quite grotesquely. So last time it was a baby. Next time it's this time it's a cat. Absolutely. Which um, and we also see that uh, obviously the shaking of the hand house yeah. is very much going through detox at this point. And then you see um, I'm trying to focus, and Cameron's in the background, and she's still incredulous about his method. Yeah, well, it's but interesting. Cam it's interesting that you you note that it's a very Cameron focused episode because Cameron does play a big part in this, especially with the bridging the gap between house and the patient. And she does yeah. become very um, protective and possibly, I mean, the way that everyone reacts to house is detoxing is obviously Foreman tries to get him back on drugs to get him back to normal. Chase sort of denies it, but Cameron builds trust with the patient and actively tries to push house away mm. and kind of turn the patient against houses. Well, not turn him away, just protect the patient from houses. What she might see as irrational interjections. Yeah, apparently. that's how I see it. I don't know. If, sorry, I didn't mean to correct that. But no, I no, I no, I I, I think that's you've you've put it better. No, I yeah. I agree. And now we get to the part where so the solution they think is because they think she's that the patient's got a form of hepatitis that stems from lupus. They're about to give him a new liver, and then. This is quite a hilarious bit because he hates surgeons by the looks of it. <laughs> or he always gives surgeons a rough, rough time. Like when he, like when he uh, inflated the size of a tumor so they get removed. Yeah, absolutely. But in this one, he just walks in and just starts sneezing and coughing everywhere, which and it's uh, just that throwing termite-laden like uh, scissor cal calipers things on the ta operating table. <laughs> Yeah. Which um, but the problem is like House has been this thematic theatric before. Yeah. But because now he's detoxing, it's funny that now nobody trusts him and thinks he's being insane, <laughs> even though he's been like this before. It's just that in his current state, it's like, oh, is it the drugs or is it House being rational? Yeah. Which kind of is quite funny that it still keeps playing into that. You know, is House in his right mind? Which I think I guess the conclusion is that House is in his right mind. Hmm. Um, kind of, because he, he is the one who actually resolves the case, um, even though he pisses off a lot of people and during it and gets punched mm. by the patient's father. Mm. But, um, but yeah, House does end up resolving it, and uh, because, yeah, they were, as Gaz said, they were going to replace his liver because they thought he had a version of Happy, and then House notes that actually it's an environmental cause caused by um, termites in the kid's house that are releasing gases. That then gets stored in his fat cells, and then yeah. as he's slowly starving because he's not eating properly, um, the fat cells are being released. And then there's a massive confrontation area moment where the father, you know, goes at house and uh, slaps him. Doesn't even punch him. Slaps him to the ground. Mm. Um, but um, but does eventually relent because house's point was uh, as as Gad said with the um. With the uh, fat, with the kids' fat depleting, that he was always going to keep releasing this poison. So even if they, you know, give mm. away, a, put another liver in him, the poison, the underlying condition will just kill it. And mm. there's a there's a moment where the patient's father has to make a choice about whether or not to believe House. And that's, mm. as you say, this is when the Cameron story plays in again. And then Cameron turns around and says, "Actually, you should listen to Doctor House." Mm. And it's this like it's not really the patient that trusts House; the patient trusts. Cameron. It's again the the concept of trust is integral to this episode. It's trust in house, it's distrust in house, it's trust in the process, it's trust in Cameron. Yeah. Um because house is correct, but it takes Cameron to say the same thing for him to believe her, which is a kind of a very interesting thing because it kind of demonstrates that people aren't just mm. making decisions based on like the evidence. They make it based on very human connections. And it's also interesting as it's like a moment in Cameron's art because she's starting to tell the truth. 
Whereas before she was, like in that episode before, she lied oh. to try and save a patient or to administer a treatment. And b- before that, not being able to inform inform a patient in an earlier episode that they were going to die. She just couldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. So now she's telling the truth. She's engendering trust. And then has to have, I think, less trust but more faith in House to resolve the problem. Um, so it's like there's trust and there's also, I guess, a kind of faith in House's ability, even if he is <laughs> yeah. sick. Like fundamentally assuming that he knows what he's doing. And um, he's right. Well, I think the... Well, yes, he's always right. And unless he's not in the odd episodes where they want to mix it up. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, in terms of the, about the patient and the father and the patient's girlfriend dynamic as well. Um, so I related this back to Occam's Razor before. Mm. But I think one of the components that makes the drama slightly better is that, because um, uh, in Occam's Razor, the, the mother was accusing the girlfriend of just giving him drugs. Yeah. Giving the patient drugs and just of lots of things, which, um, they just didn't seem, they just seemed to come out of nowhere. Like she didn't really know this person. She was making random accusations. Whereas <laughs> I think this sets it up much better because the daughter, uh, the girlfriend actually was in rehab for alcoholism at 13. Like we yes. kind of learn that she's had a bit of a bad childhood. Um, it also, it starts with her stealing, um, the father's car, which was a, um, a honey, like a, an anniversary gift from his wife before she died of cancer. And it's, um, mm. it sets up that this girlfriend, like, you know, she's, she's definitely got some personality issues, which then actually inform him being critical of her and questioning her. Um, I think that's set up a lot better because, mm. yeah. And then, and then it does turn out that actually she was totally innocent. And even though she did still steal his car, <laughs> mm. like she actually wasn't endangering him with with drugs but um it you know that actual <clears throat> that kind of infighting that's occurring in the patient story is actually set up and interesting here it's not just an arbitrary oh let's have a parent and a girlfriend argue because that's dramatic the drama mm. actually comes from something it's a fear of revisiting tragedy again for the father yeah exactly and it's um but it's it's just it's 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 incredible the the small tweaks that you can make to a setup, which make it interesting. I think we we've we've noted this with a few house episodes that house episodes will retread similar like themes or like concepts or like you know drama dynamics, but the twists they make on them are just you know it it's what makes the difference. Like just giving that girlfriend that background makes that drama engaging because it doesn't feel like people are arguing over nothing it then like brings some kind of mistrust to a character yeah which you know engages you because you're then you then don't know if you should trust her either yeah uh, and um yeah yeah i can't think of any further examples of times that that has happened but um that's uh, an excellent point because i didn't factor that into what i was thinking about trust of course it's trust between her and the father as well yes which, kind of gets glided over with kind of broad brush accusations <laughs> in Occam's Razor, but in this it gets a bit more time and content mm. and depth. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lack of trust is what makes good drama. It makes you question characters' motivations. Um, Fidelity is a great like example of that as well. Like the fact that you don't know which one of the patients has had the affair and it sort of comes down to the wire that it's, you know, that lie is about, you know, is going to actually decide the fate of someone's life. Mm. That in turn, you know, that is what makes that drama engaging. Yeah. Um, so like even there's even I, I, I actually, you know, I have thought of an example like the pilot episode and paternity are a good example as well. Like when we when we talked about that in an earlier uh, like the first episode of the podcast, we looked at how it like hits similar like you know, plot points and certain concepts, but it's just the small tweaks that make it different. It's the sort of, you know, it's the, it's the way that information is presented. It's the way that, you know, characters don't just openly speak about their motivations. They, you know, sort of, they're alluded to. 
Mm. It's um, it's incredible what what small changes will make to an episode's quality. Yeah, um, and I, you say, and I think this brings us straight into the final conf- the final part of the episode, which is the confrontation between House and Wilson. Yes, where if you list, if you kind of concentrate on the dialogue. A lot is revealed. A significant amount of content is revealed very subtly. Mm. Because what you find is House admits he has a prob he has an addiction, but he doesn't have a problem. He functions, he can pay his bills, he he is a functional member of society. And yeah. Wilson says, Well, is that all you want? You have no relationships, you have very little friends. Your hospital, the hospital is basically everything that you have, apart from your house, me, you know, himself, Cuddy, and the fellows. Um, and kind of house dismisses that, kind of doubles down on the idea that his vocation is everything that he needs. Yeah, I think he just says, I function, yeah, which is scary, yeah. Um, and then, basically, I think Wilson confronts him even more um, because he's concerned for House. Yeah. And House just says, you know, they take away his pain. Now, you could just take it on face value that he's talking about the leg pain. But obviously, he's talking about more than that. It's, it's... Yes, because we definitely know there's... I mean, you and I know what the backstory is, but at this point, we don't know precisely but there's there's a backstory for yeah not not just oh he he's his leg hurts now but there's all the things he's lost because of that leg we even saw in paternity like he was clearly interested in sports at one point and you factor in that that he's then lost his access to that Mm. we know that there's been like a bad relationship in the past that house has had yeah there's been allusions to that so it's all these and we, we don't yet know how much the leg event factors in. But, yeah, it's interesting you say that. It is very much a double entendre in that, you know, what what is the pain referring to? It just seems yeah. to be an existential pain. Is it an existential pain? Is it the actual pain? And then, every, and you know, we get hints at the beginning of the episode that he's gone from 40 milligrams to 80 milligrams of Vicodin. Yeah. But then Wilson talks about how House has actually changed. Yes. He's changed and house dismisses it yeah i'm I'm older my hair's thinner things change sometimes i get lonely sometimes (laughs) i get lonely and like well okay and uh, obviously trying to dismiss the deeper meaning of what wilson was saying so you've really changed as a human being and then it makes you wonder what was he like before then what are we missing out on what are we going to find out yeah and there's a very interesting point where then after the, after that confrontation house loses his temper which he doesn't really do which i do appreciate because i hate when drama and tv shows are just people shouting <laughs> so because <laughs> house loses his temper and shouts so rarely um because he's so good at brushing things off that moment where he slams his cane on the table mm. and says of course i've changed and then it's just this moment of silence but it really stands out that clearly wilson is prodding into something and as you pointed out before like house is always diverting the attention from his real life and it's like as soon one breaks some through that through that seal it's just this rage is released Mm. and and, somebody's caught him out with his pants down yeah um or pushed him into a corner Mm. where he has to lash out to get out and it the thing is we see the penultimate penultimate scene shot of that is the conversation between Cuddy and Wilson where they're discussing that this has been set up by Wilson all along and it seems like they're trying to get to something like they got him to admit he has an addiction issue but that he doesn't see it as significant but even even Wilson even after that like as you say when Cuddy and Wilson are talking about it Cuddy's more concerned Wilson says maybe he's right which is quite depressing that Wilson like kind of even accepts that because because as you say like the difference between like the type of pain that's being talked about there seems to be a difference between like the physical pain and just this existential pain mm. of like you're 
kind of outlook on the world. Like House just seems to be very pessimistic a lot of the time. And just him, like, just like there are certain things that maybe he can't fix. Like even if you like, you know, he takes some drugs and he takes the pain away from his legs, like he's still lonely, he's still older, he's still got all of those bad memories. Like in a way it's like Wilson kind of accepting that there just aren't any fixes to those things and the house won't change so he's like maybe we should just keep him drugged up <laughs> so he can just get through the day and doesn't really have to think about these other things it's just a very practical kind of sad reality to it that you just sometimes can't be happy and but, i think that's a very yeah. uh, i mean the subject is explored more but it's very mature and it's definitely something that people face in their lives and it's quite annoying and a lot of fiction where you know characters will just do something and then they're just happy and everything's fixed you know sometimes it's just not possible to be happy in your life fundamentally a lot of the mm. time and that's kind of what this scratches the surface on yeah and also the fact that maybe wilson thinks you know this if he if house changes again by confronting his issues will he change back to what he was before into something else you know and yeah. does that would that mean the end of that relationship between him, Wilson and House? Who knows? I mean, that's reading a little bit too, uh, uh, reading too much into it. But I think it's really interesting. Now we've kind of we're now getting into the psyche of House, not just the not just this kind of surface level that we've had before, where we've seen hints of you know, egotism and neuroses and, well, not neuroses, but kind of arrogance and egotism and being a show-off and a know-it-all, that narcissism, um, which is always on show when he does something dramatic. Yeah. But now seeing something a little bit more deeper, a little deeper and more terrifying. Yeah. That he's but... more, that, you know, Usually, you know, it's easy for writers to kind of just compartmentalize characters into bits. You know, the classic example is Jack, Mr. Jekyll, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now yeah. They're, they're, okay, yeah, it's got a doctor in it. Okay. But <laughs> um, it's better, like, using that transformation um as a means to explore two sides of one person that that we're finding out that this is that house is just one person composed of all this messed upiness that writers are willing to kind of examine well yeah and i mean that's what like real that. people are like and that's why yeah yeah it just it just makes house i think this house just instantly makes him a more interesting character yeah like he was already interesting before but like that element is just and and they really they really then start running with it from here yeah and, and that's why i think it's the kind of in a way it's the real opener of the entire tv show completely i think yeah mm. i would i would agree mm. well um i feel i feel like you know detox has been differentially diagnosed <laughs> Yeah, albeit rambly from me, but yes, we have differentially diagnosed detox. Yes, and I, I think we, I mean, even I think we don't really need a summary in this case, just because we seem to both agree that this is a, an important moment where the series begins. Yes. Not not physically, <laughs> but in a, a, a. What makes it unique? And yeah. I think what makes people. So, I mean, definitely what makes me like the series, and mm. but what makes people probably so passionate about the series, even, you know, 15 years on, people it, are still connect with this series, and especially the main character. I, I think I'd use the, um, an analogy to uh, a runway. The earliest, the first half of this season has been, to give like a general summary of the first half has been the runway for the, for the entire TV show. It's just been building up and the momentum's been building up. And this episode here is where the plane takes off. Mm. 
momentum has been building, speed has been building, the characters have been established. Foreman very well. And then and then now we're we're in a sense in takeoff. Mm. We're now getting into the kind of the the bigger themes of the T V series. Because I thought the earliest parts of the season were kind of like bits of there were deconstructions of the procedural drama. Yeah. Um where it was just kind of using these characters to kind of slowly break down um the tropes and make us think about this series more take the series more seriously than just the procedural by breaking down those elements and sh- subverting expectation and exploring things in a more abstract way and also engaging with ethical themes more seriously than you know a standard medical procedural would you know mm-hmm. where where it will deal with the surface tension between characters, but it won't explore the actual moral dilemmas like in, like in, in fidel- is it fidelity? Yeah, or infidelity. Yeah, true. And and there's always like, especially with those kind of characters, there's always like there's a fix, mm. and it's it's you know if if a character does something, they might get better. Yeah, but it's like you know, not always. When yes. you, well, yeah, I mean, when you're fundamentally unhappy in your life. What would make that better? Yeah. Do you, do you want to go out for more dinners? <laughs> do, do you want to like learn an instrument? Like what what fixes sadness and depression? And it's um it's something which comes out here. And yeah, as you say, like it's a more sort of forceful, straight on look. You no blinking. Like this is terrible. What do you think about it? Mm. What can we actually do? You know, the healer who can't heal himself. Yeah, perfectly put. Um, but yeah, so this is the moment where things start to be constructed. So before it's deconstruction, yeah, uh, breaking things down into their elemental parts, well, the genre into its elemental parts, and now it's starting to create something different. And I think it's no coincidence why Occam's, the scenario in Occam's Razor is repeated here um on this episode because it's kind of showing well this is a reconstruction of what we did before which is in itself a trope of the medical procedural drama and we're also going to look at at the same time at at house as a character not just as a uh prop that kind of gets rolled in to solve the problem this man has problems and they seem irresolvable the healer cannot heal himself yeah that's true yeah it goes it goes from like the initial incident which is often raising where it's like this is a procedural drama with a lot of great characters and joy and then this is like recreating it and saying this is house md this is a show in and of itself yeah yeah perfectly put i guess (laughs) yeah um so I think that's my kind of first half of the season summary um, and also where I think this episode slots in mm. in relation to that. I I completely agree. I think like um, even though we slightly disagree on like, you know, certain character motivations and what they're thinking, I think we both identify that this is an integral moment in House MD that makes it something special. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's been great talking to you about this. It's, yeah, great uh, disagreeing with you. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, fantastic episode, and um, mid mid midway through the through the first series, which is you know great to watch the series again and great to discuss it because I'm glad that we have managed to make it this long and hopefully we'll at least get through the first season. <laughs> talking oh, about man. the establishment of house. You're already putting like a provisional shelf life on this podcast. Oh, no, I'm not. No, we'll get to season eight. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll smash it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yes, well, I we both hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Um, as before, you can you can leave us a review where you can. You can um, drop us a message. Uh, we've got a Twitter at HouseMDCast 
and we've got a Facebook page. Um, we just publish the episodes there. We don't we don't really do a lot there, but if you want to like get in touch with us, then let us know your thoughts, and of course we'll be um, happy to message you back. And um, but yeah, overall, like thanks for listening to the episode. Thanks for listening to the episode for this lot the series this long. If you stuck with us, and um, hope to see you next week where we will be discussing a much less complex episode but hopefully the conversation will be just as interesting <laughs> but uh this is the problem with hitting a peak like an episode like this next next week can only be disappointing so join us then